curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yes, I just said that. That is that man's name. Don't tweet at me. I don't want to tweet from anybody. That's you the man's could. name. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Player's name is Ho You Fat. When you do it as the play-by-play guy, the analyst can't laugh that much. Maybe just a couple of chuckles, but that is a name. That actually was not the star of the game yesterday at the DLC. I'm going to ask in a couple of minutes who's the most impressive player, Candy. And I'll ask myself, speaking in third person, most impressive player you've seen in person. I wasn't there last night, but just watching some video of uh, Vic Weminyama, and I better learn the name and how to say it. That was insane. And Myron Metcalf was on the scene. He works for ESPN.com. He's great on college basketball, great around the NBA. Myron's up with Candy and Cofield. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? It's good. It's real good. Uh, what did you think when you saw this young man up close? I, I was I was trying to figure out which planet he was from because um, I haven't <laughs> seen anything like that. Um, and it's one thing if it's one thing if you know a couple people say it, but I mean there were two hundred plus NBA reps in the building, and they were stunned. You know, there were former players, there were NBA All Stars, Chris Paul, and. Devin Booker, they were all stunned. Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray. Um, so, I mean, I just, I've never experienced a moment like that, man. I've seen a lot of great players, and there's usually some sort of discrepancy between, you know, some people say maybe they're really, really good, and then maybe there's another group that's not sure. There was none of that last night. I mean, everyone sort of agreed that we are looking at a player that uh, is not like any player we've ever seen. And I think that's a big statement for – the number of reputable guys that were in that building. All right. So I know it seems obvious to ask this question about a guy at his size, but why in particular do you say that you've never seen anyone like him? Because, you know, I've seen a lot of big guys like that. You know, there are a lot of seven foot, seven, two, seven, four guys. Um, uh, They don't move like him. I'll tell you what he's like, like, Victor Wimbayama is sort of like, uh, it's like he's a shooting guard who just grew to be 7'4", 7'5". That's how he plays. I mean, that's his athleticism. I mean, if you watch those three-pointers in the second half last night, what made everyone kind of go wild who was watching, I mean, he's hitting those shots in rhythm. I mean, those are the things that, like, Steph Curry does. Those are the things that, like, really good NBA wings do. You don't see a guy that size doing that. And he goes seven four eleven. There was there was one play that didn't even make sense. He didn't make the shot, but he but he like goes up to the rim, tries to dunk it, grabs the rebound like it was nothing. I mean I just it's legitimately like he's still figuring out his powers. Like he doesn't really know what he can do yet. And as he learns it game by game, it's becoming more and more scary for everybody who's trying to defend him. Myron, I feel like we do this cycle with guys like him and I'm not gonna say like him because there's obviously nobody directly like him but when we have these super prospects we build them up we hype them up and then we always find something about them to say I don't know I'm not so sure and I'm sure with him it's going to be the fact that he is so skinny the same way that we talked about Holmgren last year 
how do the NBA guys that you were around, how do they feel about that? Do they feel like it's just a matter of time and him filling out, or is that going to be a concern? Yeah, they talk about his shoulders. Um, if you look at his shoulders, they're broad. So the sense I got was that a lot of NBA folks feel like he's going to fill out, a lot like Giannis. You know, Giannis is pretty small, pretty skinny, his frame, but there was room to put on that frame. And I think, you know, uh, Victor's the same way. Uh, he, he will fill out. Um, and as he fills out, I just I can't imagine a stronger Victor, but it'll happen. And I think he'll just become even an even better player uh, as it does. So, you know, obviously with any big man, especially a guy that size, you're always worried about the knee injuries and the things that tend to happen to seven-footers. Um, but, you know, he's got a team around him that's trying to build up his body. And I, I think every team in the NBA saw that. And there's a list of players who were not on the trading block last night who are this morning when it comes to that number one pick. And uh, things are going to get interesting here. If Victor had not played last night, how would we be talking about Scoot Henderson today? We'd be calling Scoot, you know, maybe the best player uh, in this draft. Still not named Victor because people knew about Victor. Uh, but in terms of, like, you know, Scoot was great. Scoot was amazing. Like, I, I think – I'll tell you what an NBA guy told me. He said, I'd hate to be number three in that draft, right? Because yeah, right. number one is going to be Victor. It's going to be a seven foot four, seven foot five prodigy. Number two is going to be a guy in Scoot Henderson who maybe he's not the pastor that John Moran is, but he's stronger at this stage of his career. Um, the guy took on Victor with the up and under reverse layup, hit a three over him. He's fearless, he's aggressive, and he's very, very mature. I mean, I've been really impressed with Scoot this week, just his responses in press conference, how he's carried himself, never getting caught up in the hype. So I think you've got two NBA All Stars in that game. And I think people did see Scoot. They just saw more of Victor. But Scoot's not going to be a consolation prize. He's going to be a foundational building block, I think, for whoever gets him. Ryan Metcalf is joining Cofield and company here on ESPN Las Vegas. He works for ESPN.com, was out at the DLC watching two awesome prospects and you know the future of the NBA, one of them being a guy who's 7'3", 7'4", 7'5", basically playing guard. I wonder what the reaction behind closed doors is from Adam Silver looking at this kid like, my God, we're going to make a lot of money. But he's also got to deal in the short term, Myron, with a race to the bottom. How many teams are going to try to win freaking 18 games this year in the NBA? Yeah, I talked I talk to a, an NBA guy about that NBA rep, and he said, you know, that's not going to happen at first. He said, watch for the trade deadline. I think when, when the frenzy will happen will be as the trade deadline approaches and teams realize they're maybe not going to be very good. Like, to me, this isn't going to be a year where you want to be middle of the pack and try to get that 10th spot maybe in the playoffs. I think some of those teams you might see make a move. I think there will also be other teams that perhaps they've got a star – who's got one or two years left on their deal. And, and yeah, they could stick with them. Do you make the trade, uh, you know, and try to put yourself in a position where you don't finish strong and the ping-pong balls kind of work in your favor? Will there be a superstar trade? Will someone get the number one pick? And as crazy as it is, who would give up Victor? Does, does a package come that includes some NBA superstar and multiple future first-round picks? So I, I just think, again, fans all the time will see a player and go, I've never seen anything like it. I've, I've heard people say that about LaMelo Ball. i heard people say that about guys like D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> Anytime you get in a live setting, guys like me, we can embellish. We can exaggerate. And the person we're seeing in front of us is the best thing we've ever seen. 
That wasn't this last night. Last night was people who've been around the game for 20, 30, 40, 50 years saying, what is that? And I think that's what changes the conversation, and that's why this tanking thing is a real threat in the NBA. For you, say going back like 25 years, who's the most impressive basketball player, whether young or old, that you had seen in person? Saw LeBron up close to the Garden. Um, nobody better than that, Kobe. Um, but but high schooler, yeah, it, it's it's Kevin LeBron. Okay, yeah, I'll give you some offbeat ones because I go pretty far back. But you're seeing like Tim Thomas at six nine play small forward, and you, you know you realize like now you say that, and it's like who who cares? Tim Thomas, you know six eight six nine small forward. What's the big deal? The game's come a long way in twenty five or thirty years. And the other one, just because he was just oddly freakish and he was overweight was actually Troy Jackson, Mark Jackson's brother, who unfortunately passed away, Escalade, because you're watching a guy who's like 6'9", 500 pounds play basketball. But this is like a whole different deal where basically basically we've got like Ralph Sampson candy combined with, oh, I don't know, Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki and Ralph Sampson have, have had a child and now they're 7'3", Victor Webanyama. But – the handles on a different level, and that's what really is going to end up separating him, right? I thought, like, I thought his ability, like Myron said, to settle into a three in rhythm. And I'm sorry to cut you off. That was that was insanity. Where I was like, wait, how tall is this guy? No, it's unbelievable. It, the The fluidity of how he moves is something that I think is the real piece that blows everybody away. I'm going to give you one. All right, I've seen Steph Curry play in person. It's a different experience, right? Yeah. Like, like he, he just yeah. moves in a different way on the court. But the guy that I saw, and this was back at the old North and South gyms on the UNLV campus back in 94, I think. And you'll know this name as an East Coast guy, Felipe Lopez. Yeah. I saw Felipe Lopez play and thought to myself, I've never seen that. I've never seen anybody do what he's doing and of course you know turned out to be a good college player an average nba player but like in person seeing the hype around him and seeing just the way he moved was unbelievable so a couple of interesting tweets i saw about the hey let's flop to the bottom right teams are going to tank especially late in the year one was about the thunder think about the thunder so they get the, we thought the unicorn, right? In a seven-footer who can play on the wing. They already have Gildas Alexander. Now they have a chance to bring in this seven-foot-four guy who can also play on the perimeter and defend at a high level in the lane. My Lord, that would be an interesting team. Uh, don't forget Josh Giddy either, who I think is going to be a, a pretty solid NBA player for yeah. a long time from that draft uh, with the vision that he has. Uh, Danny Ainge was ahead of all of us, yep. right? Danny Ainge at the Utah Jazz got us all because he dumped Rudy Gobert. He dumped Donovan Mitchell. He has an army of draft picks. And if you don't think Danny Ainge between tanking and the draft picks that he has, has the top two in this draft in his sights. You're crazy. Yeah, I saw uh, Scotty G, our buddy who does radio in Salt Lake, tweeted out, uh, 0-82, basically do what's right, Jazz. Let's go. Would do you think, argue? I don't know the represent, uh, representation of uh, Victor Webanyama, if he has a destination that he'd like to go to, because, you know, um, I wouldn't be in love living in Salt Lake or Oklahoma City. 
could could he pull a could he pull an Elway and basically tell people, sorry man, don't want to go there. I think that'd be pretty hard considering who this player is, and I'm actually surprised to hear you say that. I've heard many times Salt Lake referred to as the Paris of the West. <laughs> the the actually, French guy be right at home. Actually, for me, I enjoyed uh, Salt Lake a couple of years ago. Um, I was a little bit sick at the time, but I tried to drink my way out of it, and Salt Lake was very accommodating on that yeah. front. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, as, as long as you can get wasted on 4% beer, like you, you, can, you can have a great time that's, in Salt Lake. No question about it. That's a dirty rumor. They've cleaned up the beer. They've upped the ABV. We're good to go now. Ah, Cofield, you really have uh, scouted out the liquor scene along the Mountain West. I'm proud of well, you. I, Very good. I, uh, we actually we are doing a uh, Broadcaster Bites podcast. Caleb Herring and I, with the advice from uh, Russ and uh, Russ Langer and Nick Murphy and others, and Logan, Utah actually stepped up its game. Uh, they have a real bar there where they, they, they serve. They had the nice beer selection. They actually serve alcohol without having some sort of a license or test to go through. And I've mentioned a couple times on the air, uh, late night, which in Logan is like 1230 at night when bars have closed. I was walking to a convenience store and I looked to my right and I was like, whoa, okay. There was a, uh, a young man, not, not homeless, uh, dressed well, out cold, sleeping in the grass. Think it was a missionary who just lost his bike. Like, what? What happened? You go, Logan. I, I think the the ABV is up, hard liquor is available, and there's an adjustment process. Uh, you, you know what? When the five percent beer hits, as opposed to that four percent beer, you got to watch out, man. It's good. It's going to get you. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Lo- Logan. Logan. If if you're a Utah State grad, I love you, but that was always at the very bottom of my mountain west coming up. rankings it's coming up they've, they've i got know good, they've got good I'm eggs benedict at one restaurant they've got a bunch oh, God. of places the a one lot of bar in the one restaurant a lot of a lot of mexican there i tried to talk the guys into going and getting some cajun at a place called mamos that made it on triple d they wouldn't do it i got the line back i don't think i trust seafood and crawfish in utah i was like okay i can't fight that no you can't oh and ari's asking is laramie higher I'm going to tell you right now, Laramie is a sneaky, decent little town to ha- go on a road trip. There there are some good bars. There are a couple of good restaurants. Um, It is a nightmare to get there. Yeah. But it's actually not a bad place for a trip. There are decent bars. The only problem with the road trips there, if it's in during the week, everything closes down early. And I had a case a, a couple of years ago where it was six degrees. I'd gone to a brew pub slash restaurant, had a nice meal, had another drink at another bar. It was 10 o'clock. I'm like, oh, let's call Rideshare. Uh, the ride came at 11.45, and I was six beers further in. No, you had woken that dude up. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. I wouldn't start him either this week or the following week. I would wait, but not because of Cooper Rush, because of his thumb. They can both be true. Cooper Rush can be doing just enough to win, but Dak Prescott has to be fully healthy because it's going to be a brutal season, and it's going to be a long season, especially the way it's going. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Jeff Saturday on the way back. Cofield and Company, 5 o'clock hour. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield, Finley Toyota Studios. Ari is steering the ship. So Saturday, talking about Dak Prescott on Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, what? Uh, 
You agree, right? Dak Prescott should not play until his thumb is closer to healing. And I don't want to, I don't want to do the you know ultimate uh, pessimist thing here. But the next two games are tough. I don't like saying you're probably not going to win them anyway. But bring him back when he's freaking closer to full health. You've already gotten an absolute gift from the fact that Cooper Rush has done what he's yeah. done so far. You've won games that you weren't supposed to win. You don't need that. And if you're saying to yourself, well, if he's close to healthy, it's good enough. Did you enjoy yeah. watching Russell Wilson last year? Yeah. Because that's what you're going to get. A guy with a busted thumb who can't grip the ball. On Saturday, October 8th, meet and greet with Aces superstar, WNBA world champion, Kelsey Plum will be along with Ari, Finley VW, and Henderson, 11A to 12.30. Autographs, pictures, bring the babies, lots of free food, Raisin Cane's free food on hand, crumble cookies as well, Westar Credit Union presenting the whole thing. Again, Ari on the scene with ESPN Las Vegas with superstar Las Vegas point guard from the Aces, Kelsey Plum. That's coming up this Saturday, 11A to 12.30. So bounce around the NFL a little bit. Uh, concussions have become, uh, have become a massive topic. They really always have been, but really the spotlight sh- shining on the NFL for the way they handled Tua. That investigation reading today might be concluded by Thursday. The Raiders have a bunch of guys struggling with concussions. Hunter Renfro finally back. Mm, he's in the non-contact phase, so at least he's making his way back. I don't know that that means he's going to be playing on Monday. So everyone is aware of how dangerous these things can become. And yet, Candy, Joe Burrow said what? All right. I'm going to lead this off by saying that I'm a person who has had multiple concussions in my life. Like I'm speaking from experience when I talk about this concussion issue. Joe Burrow went on the Colin Cowherd podcast and talked about how he thinks that head injuries are basically part of the game with football. And he said this i've had some where i don't remember the second half or i don't remember the entire game or i know i got a little dizzy at one point but nothing long lasting you're going to have head injuries you're going to tear your acl break your arms the game we play it's the life we live and i get paid handsomely for it i think going into every game we know what we're getting ourselves into and when we heard that tua needed to be saved from himself or that players need to be saved from themselves this is exactly the mentality that we're talking about These guys are wired to go out there and fight through anything. Dak Prescott is wired to come back and fight through the thumb injury. There is no fighting your way through a concussion. That's not how it works. Every time you get a concussion, the next hit you take, it takes less to make it a concussion again. Your brain is sloshing around in your head. There is nothing that can be done to make it recover any faster You have to be out. You have to be protected. And we've heard players talk about the fact that they're happy that their teammates recognized that they were struggling and pulled them out of a game and said, you know what? I needed somebody to do that for me because they're not wired to pull themselves out of a game. They are taught from a young age to keep on fighting. Joe Burrow talked about that. It's not long lasting. That's the problem. The are long lasting effects. You don't see it immediately. But why are we having the whole discussion about CTE and all of these players who've died from long-term brain decay? Because this is what concussions do. They have a long-term effect that you can't see in the moment. They have to be allowed to fully heal. So 
attitudes like this from Joe Burrow have to get changed. Well, I want to do a giveaway, but that was really an intense speech. So that was my segue right there. Nice. But uh, but I agree. Attitudes have to change. And I, I think with players and some coaches, it's changed. But obviously, there was something wrong in the whole process with Tua. Something slipped through. And, you know, obviously, there's still a lot of coaches. I keep saying, obviously. There are a lot of coaches who still have the old school mentality that you have to battle through. And it's passed on to the players. And a lot of that stuff starts in high school. So this is going to take, who knows, another generation, you know, 20, 25 years for people to get it through their head, pun intended, that it's super, super dangerous. All right, giveaway time. Eddie Vetter, lead singer Pearl Jam, is in town Friday, October 7th. That's this week, Park MGM, Dolby Live. You can grab your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. But Ari's going to hook you up. we got two tickets right now going out for Eddie Vetter, 364-1100, caller 7. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Now lunging forward, and now fires it late, caught at the back of the end zone! Clyde Edwards-Hilaire! They are certainly and clearly and unequivocally and inarguably the best team and the favorites in the big bad AFC. And, and certainly in their own division, the hardest division ever, the AFC West. Mahomes with the touchdown pass! His second touchdown pass of this game! You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. I mean, you go national, Nick Wright. It's enough with the Chiefs love all the time. It's a good bit, though. It's a good one. Good call there as well. Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Let's talk Chiefs. Let's talk Raiders, it's coming up on Monday Night Football. It's sort of a rivalry, one-sided. Chiefs got a battle back in this thing. Let's break it down, especially from the Chiefs' side. Former NFL player, former Chief, Mark Borechter is up with Adam Candy, Steve Cofield. How are you, sir? Doing well, fellas. How are you guys this evening? Uh, we're pretty good. We're pretty good. It would have been a miserable week this week to do sports talk with an 0-4 Raiders team. <laughs> it certainly would. It certainly would. Uh you guys like look on the bright side that they could be two and two right now outside of that, uh, you know, Arizona loss. But um, I feel your pain. I feel your yeah. pain. Maybe not really. Maybe not really, but I yeah. feel it. Well, truth be told, you're speaking to uh, Jets fans. Candy, what team do you root for? Do you actually, are you proud enough to mention it? Hey, hey, the New York Giants are three and one right now. Stop. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about the Chiefs start. Um, what have you been impressed by so far in terms of uh, some of the transition with some of the positions? I think here over the first couple of weeks, um, you know, I've said this receiving core with obviously the trade away of Tyreek Hill. I think it's deeper uh, talent-wise from two to five than it was before. Um, it was going to take a little bit of time for them to, to kind of gel because you can do – you know, as many throwing sessions with Patrick Mahomes in Texas, you can do, you know, all the OTAs, you can do training camp, but it's a little bit different when you get into game situations. And it seemed like over the last couple of weeks, they're starting to develop a connection, uh, starting to get on the same page. So when I look at that, you know, those positions initially, uh, I think the sum of the parts is better than what they lost overall as a whole. It was a move that this organization had to make. Uh, to better their club and get a bunch of draft picks back 
And then, you know, the offensive line last week uh, against Tampa Bay, much maligned against Indianapolis Colts the week before. They were definitely challenged last week uh, coming into this game and uh, lived up to the challenge on Sunday night. So offensively, and then, of course, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Um, <laughs> defensively, you know, when I look at this thing, uh, it wasn't pretty necessarily a Tampa Bay game, but I think that, you know, when they were playing from so far in front, they basically sat back and said, okay, we're going to just keep everything in front of us uh, from an offensive standpoint, give up a bunch of yards and, and try not to give up very many points. Uh, but this this defense is much improved over a year ago for this early in the season. Let's talk about that for a second, Mark, because Mahomes is always the discussion when it comes to the Chiefs and what their offense is going to do. But it really feels like the defense is the biggest reason that the Chiefs have been able to survive. I mean, frankly, they didn't play a fantastic game against the Chargers. Obviously, they had their struggles against Indianapolis yep. offensively. But defensively, this team has been outstanding. They have been really good. And, you know, traditionally, going back to Steve Spagnuolo's time with the Giants, the defenses have started kind of slow, right? And then really start to gel as the year goes along. Um, I think the biggest difference this year is the youth on this defense. Uh, they turned over a lot of positions. Um, <clears throat> Willie Gay Jr. obviously is out with a suspension right now, but Nick Bolton is playing about as best as you can as any middle linebacker in the league right now as a second-year player. Uh, they've made changes, obviously, in the secondary. There's a lot of youth there. And I've used this term here in Kansas City a little bit. It's not that they're young and dumb. It's that they're young and naive, right? And so when you get young guys that are naive to the fact you keep the scheme simple, you add things week to week, you allow them to be the athletes that they are and go play football, and that's what they have so far through these first four games. And there's the biggest difference overall is their team speed on defense. They can fly sideline to sideline now. They were missing that last year for whatever reason, not playing Nick Bolden earlier last year and having Anthony Hitchens in the middle. It's made a big difference. Uh, George Carlotis, their first-round pick, uh, a defensive end, is coming along as an edge rusher. They've obviously lost McDuffie. He's on the IR for right now. Uh, the starting corner who played extremely well in week one, but um, they are playing really, really good team defense right now. And then from a veteran standpoint, Chris Jones is, probably had the best start to the season uh, that I've seen both in the run game and passing game in terms of pressures that he's putting on right now. Raiders coming in on Monday night, Mark, and Steve kind of referenced this a minute ago with the rivalry being, let's just say, a bit one-sided uh, over the past few years, especially since Patrick Mahomes has been there. You've been a part of it back when the Raiders were in California. Uh, what is your experience with the rivalry? What memories of it do you have? Well, I think it's a tradition-rich rivalry, and I know it's a little more one-sided lately on things, um, but at the same time, you know, it's a situation that you've got to go back to the tradition to understand what this means to both these franchises. And it's a hated rivalry. It's a rivalry that is always physical or has been in the past, and it's a rivalry game that you always came out of feeling worse uh, after a win just as bad as you did after a loss because of the physicality of it. Um, it means a lot, I think, still to everybody here in Kansas City. Uh, obviously, the folks in Kansas City love the fact that it's been more one-sided over the last few years. 
but you know you're going to get a good game usually. Um, and then from the Chiefs side of things this week, this can't be a look-ahead game to Buffalo next week. This can't be an Indianapolis Colts game looking forward to Tampa Bay like it was a couple weeks ago. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs organization and the players now after this big win against Tampa to go to 3-1 and one are looking at a Las Vegas Raiders team that they think should probably be 2-2, two and two. Um, a team that I see looked a lot better last week, uh, looked to start getting on the same page, and then, you know, ran the football extremely well last week, which I think is the recipe for them to be successful with their car. So, you know, we can talk about the history and the the uh, of this rivalry and, and the matchup and the hatred uh, between the fans, between the players on things. It's not quite the same as it used to be, uh, but it's still one you circle every single year on the calendar. Mark Bo Richter, former Chiefs wide receiver, nice enough to join us here on Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. You mentioned Derek Carr, and I don't know how much you've been paying attention to it, but it's been a real deal here talking about the first three and four weeks about ball distribution and Adams is here and how many targets is he getting. From the receiver standpoint, what's your take on you know picking targets, ball distribution, and, and a lot of it depends on what the defense is throwing you and offering you. A lot of it does depend on what the defense is throwing and offering you, um, because you can't, you can't, you just can't force the football into a guy. You know, if I mean, if it's double, triple cup, you can do it, but you're going to probably pay the price for it at some point. I, I think my stance on this and, and looking at this Raiders team is obviously a new head coach and Josh McDaniel, a new offense. Um, you're reuniting. Uh, one of the best, if not the best, wide receivers in the National Football League with his college quarterback several years removed. So there is a little bit of chemistry between the two of those guys, but, you know, it takes a little bit of time to, to gel and, and get all on the same page. And when you've got weapons like Waller and some of the other guys that they've got, you know, it's, you have to distribute the football around a little bit more. And, and I go back to, to this from a Kansas City side of things. The Chiefs traded away Tyree Kill this year. Uh, a lot of people here obviously were extremely upset. I thought it was a move that probably needed to happen if you want to make your club better for the future from a salary cap standpoint, everything there. But I also thought it's going to let Patrick Mahomes play within the scope of the offense uh, and not single in on one guy. And The offensive struggles the Chiefs have had over the last couple of years when there were struggles were because you know, we weren't distributing the ball. When I say we, the Chiefs, weren't distributing the football around the way it needs to from a read perspective. So you have to try to find some matchups, move your receiver around in Devontae Adams to get him open. But then at the same time, you still have to be able to run within the scope of the offense and count on other guys for production so that when the opportunity is right, you know, um, Devontae Adams can go off. So with team building, now that you've been through the Tyreek Hill experience and you saw him get a big deal from Miami and so far the Chiefs have been pretty good and you talked about the draft picks and money being distributed different places, looking at teams like the Raiders, can you win with your quarterback making north of $29 million and your wide receiver right in that area? Can you have both of those positions at a high-dollar number? I think you can, okay? I think you can have a couple of those guys. The problem is when you guys like – when you look at the drafts that the Raiders have had and the amount of first-round guys that are still on the roster over the last five to six years, right, and this roster turnover, that's where you have a problem. And 
you know, it does take a big chunk of the cap up to have a quarterback making that. And whether, you know, Derek Carr is worth that amount of money or not, um, you know, is debatable. But it is what the going rate is for, you know, a good, solid starting quarterback in the league. Uh, it's an awful lot of money to pay a wide receiver. But in this day and age, they're not paying the running backs that across the league. So you got to pay a couple playmakers on your on your offensive side of the football. I think you can win with that. I think it's the sum of all the parts. It's the one thing that, that separates the Chiefs right now, obviously from the Raiders, has been coaching stability, and it's been uh, the way they've drafted over the last few years. I like your candor there, but uh, frankly, as a former wide receiver, I think you had to answer it that way. I think you still have to stick up for <laughs> wide receivers, and now, now these guys are making 20 mil plus. So I think you're obligated to do that. Uh, probably so, probably so, but it's, it's also facts laid out in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Good, good answer. There you go. That's, that's well done. Uh, let's jump back to Patrick Mahomes for a second. You, you mentioned coaching. You know, whenever we see coaches and players arguing during a game, I feel like a lot of it gets overblown because I feel like if anybody had cameras at our offices day to day, and saw some of the disagreements we had with uh, our bosses or our coworkers or whatever, like it would be maybe even worse than some of what we see. But there's cameras everywhere. So did you take anything out of Mahomes and Biennemi getting into it on the sideline? You know, I didn't really. Um, I think it does get overblown. I think, as you guys know, a lot of these things happen behind closed doors, right? You don't like to see it happen out in the open. But I specifically don't take really anything out of it because it was the end of the first half and against the Colts. And the one knock that I'll say about Patrick Mahomes is that he's a greedy football player. Okay? And that's a great thing to have as your quarterback. Because, and I've said this here in Kansas City as well, people look at me like, what do you mean he's greedy? Yet? Well, because he wants to gobble up yards, take shots down the field, and score as many points as possible all the time. And you have to harness that and bring the reins back on him, pull the reins back on him a little bit um, because that's just how he's made up. That's, that's, that's you know, in, in his personality and his competitiveness to want to go ahead and take a shot. And I get it. And, you know, situations like last year when you had 13 seconds left against the Bills and you go as far as you did and score a touchdown and, you know, you're in the situation where they win the game with 13 seconds to go, Forcing overtime, all that kind of stuff against Buffalo, he's still going to have that mentality. And, you know, Andy Reid did a great job of diffusing it here. Uh, I don't take really anything out of what happened because I looked at it as a situation where he was like, I don't want to run the football here, run a little screen. I want to throw the ball. Give me a shot. I'm the man. Give me a shot. And, you know, conservatively, if I was coaching, uh, I probably would have done the same thing that Andy Reid and Eric Bannaby did in that situation. Mm-hmm. But, I understand the frustration of Patrick Mahomes there. I think a lot more get, got made out of it. Uh, number one, it was public. And then, you know, everything that kind of went on last year, uh, a lot of the rumors that were out there, took a little bit of time for Eric, Eric Bannamy to be back as the offensive coordinator, kind of fueled that discussion a little bit more, uh, you know, a week or so ago than really needed to happen. That all said, I feel like Eric Bannamy's run there is probably – probably should come to an end. Does he need to make a run at a college job like Colorado or an OC gig somewhere else? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I know he'd like to be a head coach. Uh, 
we all know, I think, in looking around the landscape, that his name has been brought up over the last few years, and he still has yet to have one. Um, whether, you know, he's turned down opportunities or been too picky is one side of that. Um, the other side of that is, you know, a lot of the rumors of things that have gone on, potentially he just doesn't interview well. These are all things that have been thrown out there, right, on different, right. On different things. You know, things from his past, all that kind of stuff. It hasn't stopped, you know, other guys from getting head coaching jobs in the National Football League. Um, I think, you know, is his time here coming to an end? I don't know. Um, he's obviously been here quite a while now as the offensive coordinator. You know, once Doug Peterson left and then Matt Nagy he took over. But, you know, there's another guy sitting here, and it didn't work out for him in Chicago, and Matt Nagy is the head coach, but he's now the quarterback's coach back here again uh, in Kansas City. Andy Reid always has a succession plan in some capacity. Uh, so I would not be surprised if Eric enemy's name comes up for a head coaching job again. Uh, and I also wouldn't be surprised if he looks to the college ranks for that. That might be the best avenue for him. You know, if you're Eric Bieniemy, and obviously I'm not, and I'm not close to him or no people around him that are close to him, but, you know, if you've gone four or five years now on the interview circuit in the National Football League, um, as an African-American head coach and don't have an opportunity yet, you know, I'm not saying you should play second fiddle, quote second fiddle and go to the college ranks because those guys are making a lot of money and doing really good things, but it might be an opportunity you should really look at. All right, Mark, let's finish up with uh, Monday Night Football Raiders Chiefs. Who wins? Uh, I'll take the cheat. What's the line on the game, by the way? Seven. Seven. Seven? Okay. Um, I'll take the Chiefs by ten. Uh, on that side of things. So I, I, I think it's going to be, let's just say, I think it'll be greater. Well, I'll go to 28-14. Let's do that. 28-14 okay. Chiefs. We will hold you to that and then have you back on again if the Raiders win and really mock you. Sounds <laughs> good. You guys can take your victory lap then. That'll be good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Well <laughs> hey. done. Well done. Touche. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk. Yeah, they will never live that down. The Nor victory lap. They. The, the victory lap. The Raiders have lost, uh, what, 13 of 15 in the series, and the victory lap pisses off Chiefs fans to no freaking end. Uh, tomorrow, look for the UNLV All Access podcast, Caleb Herring and myself, as we break down what happened against New Mexico and Friday's game against San Jose State. We'll have a part of our conversation with San Jose analyst Kevin Richardson on there. And, of course, our broadcaster's bites block where we talk about San Jose and Northern California and food and other food stuff that's been going on around uh, the Mountain West Conference. As Candy and I know. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy, Stu Cofield, ESPN, Las Vegas. Let's get into the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I like going in multiple times. Why not, right? Why not? Going back to an earlier part of the show, Candy, uh, Justin Watkins was in here, ESPN, Las Vegas, legal insider and uh, blossoming sports talk star here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. He started talking about the A's as a team that because this stuff continues to come down the the pike in our local paper about you know problems in Oakland and uh, Vegas 
Um, I like that Justin Watkins said, yeah, if that's going to be the team and there's going to be some public money, whatever, it, 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 it can't be the A's. It cannot. And I, I'm not saying this is like representative of just how poor an organization there are in terms of goals. They tweeted out today a picture of Kurt Suzuki and Steven Vogt uh, hugging after the game. And they the, the, the write-up was weird. It says, is it terrifying? Both guys are retiring. Uh, is it terrifying? No, I don't think so. It is the way it is, you know. Everything must come to an end. And it said, see you on the other side. And someone responded like, chill. They're not being euthanized. I don't know, though. It's the A's. Are you <laughs> sure they're not being euthanized? Like they, they might be trying to get out of the last two days of the contract, right? And, you know, poison them in the clubhouse you. or something. Good yeah. knowing you, Stephen Vote. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, you had your kids introduce you today at the game, but uh, you know, contracts, contract. You didn't read closely enough. I will say on the positive side for them, since they are doing what they're doing, which they do just about every year, a ton of aviators got a chance to play this year, so that was neat seeing. You know, it seemed like thirty plus. Guys got to graduate from the uh, A's minor league system, and they've got some productive players who may be good major leaguers, hopefully sooner than later, so the A's can crawl out of this hole where they don't seem capable of even winning like 75 games now. It's kind of sad to watch because for so many years it was like, oh, yeah, the A's just bring more out of the pipeline, right? And it's almost as though the ownership of this team looked at it and was like, God, we've been trying to make you bad. It's like major league. Like, how do we make them worse? Uh, let's make let's make them fly on the rickety old plane or on the bus. Crazy. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Okay, I got to hear your take on the Ravens and Harbaugh and analytics and losing another game. Uh, in our mind on this show, most of us, because of play calling and execution, not the original decision. What did you think of the decision to go for a touchdown with four minutes left? instead of kicking the gimme field goal, and they wind up losing the game. The Ravens had given up a 17-point lead at that point. The Bills have been able to move the ball up and down the field and do whatever they needed to do. Are you under the impression they weren't capable of going and getting seven in that spot? Hmm. You go for the touchdown. Their win probability went up by roughly 5% going for the touchdown. Now, you usually think about this as what's the worst that happens? We're at the one-yard line. We turn it over. They got to go 99 yards. They didn't count on Lamar Jackson backing up and firing an interception into the end zone, bringing it back out to the 20, and all of a sudden the Bills have the best possible setup that they could have. So it, I agree with you. It has way more to do with execution than it does about the choice to do it in the first place. We talk about all these percentages when it comes to analytics. The percentages only work if you continue to make the right decisions over and over again. And the Ravens have had a bunch of them go against them lately, and so everything looks really bad because of it. It was the same as what happened with the Chargers last year, right? Staley had a few of these go against him toward the end of the year. Well, why had the Chargers even been in the playoff chase throughout 2021? Because all of those early ones that Brandon Staley went for went their way. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What did you think of Andre James from the Raiders talking about the last home game and needing to use a silent count at home? Broncos fans travel, man. They always have. And if you don't understand that every Raiders game has the potential to be like this, then you don't understand how they decided to build this stadium. They counted on opposing fans being there. They counted on roughly half for every game of opposing fans being the 
the people inside this stadium. They're going to be there. Any team that travels is going to create a situation like this. Yeah. I was glad to see there was a whole thread going about the silent count and the, uh, you know, too much orange in the stadium. And I was glad to see a bunch of defenders jump in, even people who were Oakland loyalists, and say, uh, the stadium's full now. Las Vegas is actually a destination. I don't want to bag on Oakland, but Oakland is not a destination for anyone. And the other thing to remember, there was a reason there was a tarp on Mount Davis and a large number of seats. So where were all these hardcore fans who would never let Denver fans in? They weren't there. They just weren't there. Candy, really good job today. Thanks to Ari. Good guest load. Get the archive of the show at lbsportsnetwork.com. We'll see you.